0: Hello and welcome to the scriptures are real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things that have made the scriptures become real to us and hopefully we can apply it to our lives better and draw more power from it as a result. I'm your host, Kerry Muelstein, and we're going to talk about what is my least favorite episode probably of the entire year a very sad story. This is uh, what we often refer to as the fall of David, though I think we, we shouldn't leave it there. That's not the end of the story, but there's a lot we can learn from this, and I also think there's a lot that we do with this that probably isn't reasonable to do as we try and learn lessons. So We're going to try and learn lessons, but responsible to the historical context, and so that's that's uh, what we're going to work on right now. Oops. Uh, so let's start in chapter 11. This is 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, and a lot of people make a big deal out of the beginning of this verse, and maybe we should and maybe we shouldn't. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when the kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David Terry's still in Jerusalem. So a lot of people say, OK, his first mistake is not being where he's supposed to be. And it is somewhat ironic because remember that the reason Israel wanted a king was to have someone lead them to battle. And David has certainly done that a lot. But at this point, he doesn't go. Well, I mean, I don't know that the king goes every single time, uh, and uh, sometimes the king needs to stay in his capital instead of always be gone to battle, so that's one thing to think about. It's also interesting because the word uh, that it uses here in verse 2, where it says, walked upon the roof of the king's house, is a reflexive term of that, that verb, to walk. Um, Hitelek is what it is. Uh, the heat bell is a reflexive term. It's an unusual use of that word. It can mean pace around, and maybe that's what it means here. But uh, actually, a, a friend of mine and I, we did a little study on this word, and, and most of the time it's used, it has some kind of ritual context. So it may be that he's involved in some kind of ritual he needed to stay for. In the end, I just don't think we know enough to say that uh, David should have been somewhere else and his problem started because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. But is that a lesson we should, we can all learn? It's absolutely true. If you're doing what you should do and you're where you're supposed to be, then most likely, most of the time, you won't get in trouble. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. Uh, So that's one lesson. Um, The second lesson that a lot of people make is, okay, what's he doing up on the roof looking around? And well, I mean, they they had flat roofs. They they were designed as an extra room of the house. Uh, And when it's hot, you often go up there, plus the king should be looking around at a city, seeing what's going on. So actually that's something he should be doing. And then he sees a beautiful woman washing herself and the woman is very beautiful to look upon so there are a couple of lessons people often uh, draw on from this and I, again i'm not sure that we can actually do it even though they're they're good lessons um first of all we uh, she is probably in a ritual washing it becomes clear later that she's just finished her menstrual cycle and at the end of your menstrual cycle, you do a ritual washing by the Savior's day when the Pharisees have gone gung-ho and uh, taken all sorts of things to uh, crazy measures. Uh, it, people will do this uh, with no clothing on. They come up with that rule because uh, they're afraid that what if part of your cloth, the clothing didn't get wet enough, and then it didn't touch uh, your skin to make your skin wet, and so you didn't actually get fully immersed. And uh, uh, that's something they'll come up with. I suspect, we, we don't know whether that was being practiced in David's day or not, but I really doubt it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really doubt it was. I suspect it was not being practiced in his day, and that she was probably in a public... Uh, ritual uh, washing place in white linen would be most likely and this is a place that people could see so he's not watching something he shouldn't watch Um, and what's more we often say well he's married he shouldn't be looking at another woman and seeing that she's beautiful but it turns out that David actually is married to a lot of people and uh, the doctrine and covenants makes it clear that all of those wives were okay and he had been given those wives of uh, the the prophet so Uh, Again, culturally, this is strange for us, not something that I want to engage in. And I also want to be clear, a lot of people think, well, that's how we'll be in the hereafter. We'll have uh, plural marriages. I don't think so. Uh, That's my opinion. Uh, I know that uh, it was a big deal when the the principle was ended. Uh, Polygamy was ended as a practice that people said, well, we're going to do it again, right? And, And that's the kind of thing you do when something ends. Um, but Jacob uh, in the Book of Mormon makes it clear that really the default position is not plural marriage. So I would guess it's not going to be that way in the hereafter. I don't know. I'm not the person who can say, but if I had to, to make a bet, I would bet that most of us are, are not going to be doing that. Um, in any case, in some cases, and this is one of the cases, it is approved. And so it's not bad that David notices someone and would uh, inquire after her, because for him that actually is a possibility all right so at at all of these points there are lessons that we can learn for for you and for me if we are married we should not be asking about uh, beautiful people of the opposite gender or opposite sex and wondering what uh, you know whether they're available or not certainly we should not be doing that but that's a lesson we should learn I'm not sure we can learn it from this story Um, but when we get to the next part we can learn something. So he sends and inquires after the woman again for David. I think that's all right. And one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers. There we go. This is the problem. At that point, he knows he can't have anything to do with her. Um, She is already married, but he sends messengers anyway. So if I had to guess what the problem is, it is that David has had so much success for so long that he is used to getting his way. Uh, he is used to, if he wants it, then there's a way to make it happen and a way to make it okay. And he, when he wants something, that's how it works. It's a form of pride. Uh, it, it's easy to happen to everyone. And I think this is a lesson we should be serious about. David is and was a better person than I am. So if he can fall in this way, then I should take heed. I can fall on any point. I'm, none of us are ever safe. We're never to the point where we're like, okay, I don't have to worry about that anymore. We always have to be careful. We always, always have to be careful. There are some, certainly some lessons about pride and power here. You see that all of the, the first three great kings of Israel fall. Uh, there's a lesson for us in there. Uh, and, and one of them t- t- specifically from David in this situation is, you know, as we get to be in positions for a while and we get good at them and whatever else, sometimes it's easy to start to feel bulletproof. Like no one can do anything to me and I'm not going to do anything wrong. That's never true. We can never let our guard down. We always have to be careful. We always have to learn all the lessons I just talked about, whether we can learn them from David or not. We have to learn all of those lessons about any kind of sin and we have to be uh, on our guard. Um, but David has uh, too much power for too long. And so he sins and he takes her and she came into, into him and he lay with her for ironically, she was purified from her uncleanness. So it seems to be saying that David would not have lain with her. If she had not been purified from her uncleanness, if her menstrual cycle wasn't over, because that would have made him unclean. So he's more worried about this ritual purity than actual spiritual purity is what it seems to be saying. There's probably a secondary part here as well. He may have thought because she just finished her menstrual cycle that it's less likely for her to get pregnant, right? It's still possible, but it's less likely than just a short while later. So he may have thought that it was safe that way, that it may be speaking something along those lines as well. But I I don't know, we can't tell. In any case, he does sleep with her. I've had people ask me, so what about uh, Bathsheba? Is she culpable here? I would guess, I don't know. I don't know what kind of pressures are put on a person when the king sends for you. I, I just have no way of judging Bathsheba, so I'm not going to engage in it. Um, I I think uh, we don't understand that situation at all. In any case, she returns to her house and she conceived and she told David, I am with child. Now David has a problem, right? And here is one of the most powerful lessons. If David would have owned up to his sin right then and said, okay, you know what? I messed up. I need to make this right. Um, I don't think the story would have even made it into the Bible. Uh, If he had uh, committed this sin, I'm not saying it's not a grievous sin, it is, but if he had committed this sin and then uh, repented of it, even voluntarily would have been better, but even when first kind of caught here, um, then this would have been a completely different story. Most of the people that I've seen in all the different ecclesiastical positions I've I've been in, when it gets to be a really serious problem and there's a, a fellowship counselor or whatever you would like to call it, It's usually because uh, of repeated sins. And often one thing leads to another, right? You cover up this sin with this one, or you rationalize this sin with this one, and so on. If people would repent quickly when they're first caught or first realize something is really a problem, uh, it's just so much better. This is one of the most important lessons any of us can learn. But instead, he's not going to, to come clean. He's going to try and cover this up. And so his first plan is to have Uriah come home and sleep with his own wife. And then people will assume that this is Uriah's child. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're going to talk about from pure practical points of view, I guess it's a good plan. But if, in terms of righteousness, this is a terrible plan. He should just repent. But anyway, uh, it doesn't work because Uriah is such a good uh, guy that he says, look, I, I have all my men that I serve with, they're not home with their wives, so I'm not going to be home with my wife. I, I think, hey, go spend time with your wife. That's a nice thing to do. But anyway, that's, that's where he's at. So David says, well, then let's get him drunk um and maybe he'll sleep with his wife if he's drunk so he gets him drunk and he still doesn't sleep with his wife so now david still repeatedly refusing to fess up to and own up to what he's done wrong is going to rationalize and there's some great irony in here you'll remember that that uh, saul tried to have david killed by sending putting him in an impossible battle situation david's going to do the same thing he's thinking well if i can just make it so that he's killed in battle then he's just died. It's not my fault. And so uh, I'm, I'm guiltless. And uh, that, then I can marry her and cover up this whole thing. Uh, that's rationalization. Right. If this is, if it's, he's being judged on his intent and his intent is to get him killed. And that's what happens. He sets up the situation with Joab where Uriah put at the forefront of the battle closer than he should be. And then everyone pulls back and Uriah is killed. And it's David's fault and it was David's intent. And so David is guilty of murder. Uh, God knows our intent. Don't rationalize. We all rationalize. I can be good at it. Everyone can be good at it. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you know, and when you feel that tickling at the back of your mind that you're rationalizing, learn from David and don't go through. David is now guilty of a much more as serious as adultery is. uh, Murder is more serious. He's guilty of a much more serious sin and uh and of course he can't hide it from the lord so we get chapter 12 this amazing story where nathan comes into david and he sets up this wonderful and ironic parable about a shepherd and this speaks to david because david was a shepherd uh shepherd who only had one little uh, sheep in his flock and another shepherd who had a bunch but the shepherd who had a bunch came and took the one from uh the other guy and and uh david uh, gets caught in this he falls for this story uh, he can identify with it and he says oh then um uh, we're in verse 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5 now. And David's anger was kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, "Is the Lord liveth the man that had done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then we have one of the most incredible lines in the Bible, and then said, Nathan said to David, here's that line, thou art the man. Right. At some point, if we're rationalizing, this is what God will say to us. Thou art the woman, thou art the man, it's you. You're the one who is guilty. Thus saith the God, Lord God of Israel, I anointed the king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives, and thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given unto thee such and such things, saying, look, I've given you everything, and I would have given you more. But you took what wasn't yours, and you slew him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the search will never depart from thine house because that was despised me. So everything has gone right for David. Well, there there have been some tough things, but it's just been wonderful in many ways for him up until this point. But things are going to go really, really wrong for him after this. So we're going to spend some time talking about the way that things go wrong for him. Uh, And we could spend forever on this stuff, but I'm just going to do it quickly. But let's let's spend a moment talking about David's repentance. David honestly, truly repents. Um we get here in verse 13. Uh, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. So that's not all we know. If we were to go to Psalms chapter 51, uh this is the lament or the, the psalm David writes. Many of the Psalms are written by David, and this is what he writes when just after this incident with Nathan. And I want you to listen to this. It is beautiful. And I think David's repentance is real and heartfelt. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. That's that chesed. He's calling on the the covenantal love because he's in a covenant, has been keeping a covenant with God. Um, According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, that's a a plant that's used in many of the uh, rituals, uh, because it has it's a natural antibiotic, and so it, it it's associated with being cleansed, and so it's used in a lot of rituals. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He, he beats Isaiah to this image. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall ever shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. And he goes on for a little while, but you get the idea. This is real repentance. David is in heartfelt repentance. Now, it's hard to know what to to think of this, because in section 132, it says that David has fallen from his exaltation and his wife shall be given to someone else. You can read that to mean that he cannot receive at least the highest degree of exaltation and have eternal marriage, or you can read that to mean that at that point he's lost it and all the covenants that he'd made are broken and uh, that those wives then are not his in the hereafter. They can be someone else's, maybe his later. I don't know. You can read that to mean that while at that time, David has not received exaltation, it may be that he will receive it in the future. You can read it either way. And I prefer that latter reading. And I've, I've talked about this as I've taught this class uh, so many times and talked about it elsewhere. I found that people always really want to know, is David forgiven? Can David be forgiven? And, and finally, I've got a thick skull, but finally, I came to understand this is because we want to know that we can be forgiven. David was a great man, and he committed a very serious sin in after having received lots of light and revelation from God um but we want to know that we can be forgiven so the reality is we can be forgiven we we have not committed the same serious sin david had at least most of us haven't um and we were not i th- i think hard, probably no one listening to this podcast has received the kind of light and blessings that david had so i don't know that we can compare ourselves to david but we can be sure that we can be forgiven. And I personally believe that David also will be forgiven, that he will receive exaltation. I don't know. I'm not the one to decide these things, but I suspect he will. Um, and it speaks to me because I, I believe, I know we can be forgiven and I believe David can be as well. Um, but we don't know. And so we'll have to wait and see. But I I I'll just tell you, I have a piece about that. In any case, um, unfortunately, that uh, the child that. Uh, Bathsheba is pregnant with dies but David is told that Bathsheba will have another child he marries her and that she'll have another child and that that child will receive the throne that's an important promise now from this point forward things go so wrong for David in so many ways let's just I'm going to fly through some stories that are sad and terrible stories and it's just bad after bad after bad all right so David's oldest son Amnon desires his half-sister Tamar he rapes her um, this is certainly not good. And then uh, Tamar's brother, so Amnon's half-brother, Tamar's full brother, Absalom, who is, I believe, David's third son. Uh, has an, uh, there's a son in between them that I think um, doesn't live. But in any case, Absalom avenges his sister. This is, again, it's like what Simeon and Levi did. This is uh, typical Near Eastern or Middle Eastern culture. Um, he avenges his sister and through some subterfuge and some other things, kills his half-brother Amnon. Uh, out of vengeance but of course uh, that's murder and uh, david can't put up with that and it's a real problem and there may be the absalom may also have some uh, ambitions for the throne in there right there, there, all of this stuff is involved it's high stakes kind of stuff so absalom has to flee to Geshur; that's where his mother is from it's this little area up in uh, kind of a north kind of uh, in this border of israel syria area and um, he flees up there uh uh, david's marriage to the daughter of the king of Geshur must have been a political alliance kind of marriage but in any case he can seek political asylum there so absalom flees up there david loved absalom david loves people he really does love people and so he is it's killing him about tomorrow it's killing him about um amnon uh having done that and amnon being uh murdered and it's killing him that absalom has done this but he he uh, has to keep Absalom at arm's length, um, but Joab can tell that Absalom, uh, that, that it's killing David, that uh, Absalom and he are estranged, and he goes through some, has a woman come and tell a story, kind of like Nathan, that gets David to see this in a different light, and he allows Absalom to come back as long as Absalom doesn't uh, do certain things, and they're somewhat reconciled, but then Absalom decides he would like to become king, he's not going to wait for David to die, uh, so this is part of what makes me think that some of Absalom's motivation may have been uh, to kill his brother so that he's in line for the throne. And uh, so Absalom starts to act like the king. And pretty soon uh, he's got enough of a following that he usurps David and David flees. Um, and uh, he takes with him uh, a couple of key people, some of his, his uh, mighty men, this, this kind of like uh, the, this praetorium or the, the like uh, special forces that are his, uh, close guards but also mighty men of value it's like he has special forces people around him he takes some of them with them um, he takes um, Zadok so one of the high priests uh, stays with Absalom and serves him and there are a number of other key people in the court that stay with Absalom but, um, but a few of them go with David and, and, and stay loyal to David one of these is Zadok so when uh, David comes back Zadok will be made the high priest and the zadokite line will be the high priest from then on out uh so that's that's important to understand that all high priests after this will be uh zadokite and by the way as you go from uh hebrew to greek zadokite becomes Sadducee. uh we could go through how that happens sometime but anyway so the sadducees are the descendants of, of the zadokite priests and so on in any case um So as David is fleeing, some people help him and some people do not help him. Uh, He will forgive the people that don't help him, but we'll come back to that later. Um, And uh, eventually David is able to take the throne again. Um, He doesn't want Absalom to die. There's a battle and Joab represents him in this battle. He doesn't want uh, Absalom to be killed and he tells everyone, don't kill Absalom. Um, But Joab, who was the one who made it so that Absalom could come back, feels betrayed by Absalom, and is not going to let Absalom get away with this. And so Absalom has this fantastic hair that comes into the story a couple of times, wonderful, thick, amazing hair. Uh, as he's running away, his hair actually gets caught in a tree, and that allows him to be caught by Joab, who could have spared him at that point. He's immobilized, he could have spared him, but instead, Joab kills Absalom. And uh, this breaks David's heart in a couple of ways. He just can't trust Joab and his son Absalom is, is uh, gone and Joab is upset at David for being upset at him and, and so on. And, and David just has a lot of sorrow after this. Um, uh, a lot of sorrow and a lot of uh, difficult things keep happening after this. So um, David does take the throne again and he's uh, Praises the Lord and tries to rule as well as he can. And and a lot of good things uh, happen to David after that. It does say that he continues to write Psalms that are uh, inspired by the Holy Ghost. Uh, That gives me some idea um, that, that forgiveness does happen for David and um, he just uh, becomes a great King. Uh, Well, he, he, he continues to rule this great kingdom, I should say. Uh, even though his life in many ways is shattered and is terrible. And that's a good place to end this. We'll, we'll, we have a couple chapters to do in First Kings, and so that will be the last uh, little short cast for this week's reading. Um, but I hope we can learn some things from David, not only from the things he did when he was great, when he was little in the Lord's eyes, to use this phrase from Saul, uh, but also the things, to use the phrase from David about Saul, when the mighty fell. Um, David was someone who the Lord loved and will continue to be spoken of that way, I think partially because of his heartfelt repentance and the way he comes back and tries to continue to follow God the rest of his life and does receive the Spirit back into his life and so on. So we should learn those kinds of things from David, but we should also learn uh, about David's fall uh, and the lessons that come from really pride and rationalization and hopefully... We can learn from the mistakes of this great man and not repeat those mistakes. And I'm so grateful for Old Testament uh, writers who weren't afraid to put their worst episodes in the scriptures for us to learn from. Remember that this story is written by the descendant, those who serve the descendants of David, by the the Davidic king court, the Davidic kingly court, we should say. Uh, They have every reason to hide this story, but they don't. They give us everything in the Old Testament, warts and all, so that we can learn from this story. And I hope that we do.